you, uh, those that I know and those that I don't know, and um, just take care of that first. Uh, I'm Bruce Morak, and uh, I'm uh, one-third of the team of Bruce and Linda. <laughs> and um, we're back from Mexico, where we've been uh, serving since uh, 1991. Uh, and serving as missionaries since 1989. And I think we've been hooked up with this church for a lot of years. Yeah, a lot of years, yeah. I knew Steve would, he was, no, just, <laughs> just kidding. Anyway. Um, well, uh, we've already read the text for this morning. And uh, I am going to break every... TBF rule here and not exegete the text, okay? Um, I'm taking a chance. But we are going to be looking at this concept, which uh, has already been preached. I got to thinking as I was sitting there listening to your prayer and praise that I really don't have a lot to add to what's already been said here this morning. Um, so we're going to continue uh, celebrating uh, God's goodness and his faithfulness. Is there like a light up there? Or should I bring my own? <laughs> I do have a flashlight in my backpack. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I have these. These are bifocals, and what I mean by that is I have a pair here and I have a pair. So maybe even trifocals. I have a lot of these, yeah. Get them at the dollar store, and they're really good for, uh, for what I do. Um, I want to focus on verse 13 of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, which basically states, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I, uh, I love that statement, and uh, I started dwelling in that, uh, about a month ago when I was challenged to come up with the theme of my life. Ugh, don't you hate that? Uh, just rather stay on the surface. <laughs> but, uh, but every once in a while we get challenged with things like that. What, what am I all about? We're getting ready to transition after... Uh, uh, decades in serving in Mexico, and you kind of look back and you go, so what have I accomplished? What, what, what am I? Who am I in Christ? What do I do? What is my, what is my uh, contribution to the kingdom? And uh, it made me realize that my story, my theme, is the faithfulness of God. Um, it's really about him. And I want to tell you something. I have had an awesome life. And I am an awesome person. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with me. This is what I've discovered in, in self-examination. Everywhere I look in my moments of greatness, my periods of fame and rich, no, not riches, fame, it's, it's been about him. It's been about God and how faithful he's been. And, uh, and I've even had periods of faithfulness. Long periods.
period six, seven days in a, in a row. And, um, but he is always faithful, and he cannot be otherwise. It's not like he has days of faithfulness. He is faithful. Uh, and that is uh, what I'd like to share today, and I'm actually going to share kind of uh, a testimony. Now, don't panic. I know I'm old. I'm not going to go through everything. <laughs> We're just going to skip. We're going to do some highlights here. But uh, um, of all the biblical themes in the Bible, um, I felt like I needed to choose one. What is the theme of my life? And when I asked that question, I came up with this. It is God's faithfulness through each and every circumstance of my life. He has been He has been the highlight of every circumstance. And closely tied to this is the trustworthiness of his word. Uh, he's faithful to his word. Okay? He, he gave it to us for a reason. And, uh, and that reason is so that we could know him and know his faithfulness. These two truths have been the anchor of my life and my guide for 44 years now. That's how long I've been walking with him. I know he was with me from the beginning, but um, as a young Christian, I came out of a, a life of, of drugs and alcohol and cigarette. Well, can I just say I'm a child of the 60s and just leave it at that? <laughs> I struggled with temptations of the world calling me back into that life when I was young. I remember clearly reading in John chapter 16, verse 33, the last verse. It says, uh, in this world you will have tribulation and temptation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I don't know how often I went to that and said, Jesus, you've, you've conquered all this. You've, you've conquered all this. I don't need to go back. And, uh, and how often I prayed the fact that Jesus had overcome this world was such a powerful message to me. I called on him over and over and over again, and I probably repeated myself a lot, but it isn't about my prayers, it's about his faithfulness, right? How often he met me right where I was and provided for the need, needs that I couldn't even express to anybody else. Linda and I dedicated our lives to serve the Lord in 1976, and we entered Bible college that same year. I had many struggles as a student because I had developed, I like the way I wrote this, I have developed bad study habits. <laughs> I think there's a better way to say that. I hadn't developed any good study habits. Um, that is why I went to school. I know some of you, and we encourage you kids to, to develop those study habits. They actually uh, will pay off. All right? Uh, don't do it my way. <clears throat> so, bad study habits, uh, going into a school that required a lot of study, um, and after four years, I finally caught on. I actually crammed four years into six. Uh, so it was a lot of work. But uh, God was with us 
Every time we called out to him, we, uh, he met us there. We had financial struggles, of course, as uh, most students do. Uh, and it wasn't that big a deal. It was just that there was always more month than there was money. You know how that goes sometimes. And, um, but God was always faithful to provide. Uh, there was never enough money, but, uh, but he provided what we needed at the moment. That's what I love about him. He's the God of today. And uh, he takes care of tomorrow. Tomorrow. This caused a lot of stress in our marriage, as finances often do. Any of you struggled with finances and had stress? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, Not only that, but I was still smoking cigarettes. Okay, so picture Bible college student. You know how they're, you know how they are. Um, I had to hide that, of course, because you can't like just go out in the break room and light up. It doesn't work that way. I actually thought that a little cologne was actually hiding the smell of cigarettes, but have you... No, never mind. Now I can smell somebody five yards away, and I'm like, who was I kidding? My professors and classmates were very patient with me. All right? Nobody ever called me out while one guy did, and I I praise him for that. Uh, thanked him many times for saying, you know what? <laughs> you're, uh, you're busted, we know. And uh, you need to stop that. And God granted me the grace to do that. We had many struggles in those days. I cried out many, many times to the Lord, and I'm sure Linda was doing the same. We saw God's faithfulness to us demonstrated over and over and over again. I can't say that enough times. We had a serious health issue with our son, and God moved in miraculous ways to save him. We had strangers bring food to our door. Um, We had anonymous gifts of money left at the college office. God was answering our prayers in very visible ways. One example, in those days, we kept all of our money in a little folder that had envelopes inside of it. Uh, Dave Ramsey style, I guess. Uh, although nobody heard of Dave Ramsey back then. But anyway, um, one day Linda was uh, putting a kid in the car and she put the envelope or the folder on top of the car. Yeah. Um, Off we went and off went the folder. It had all of our money in it, all of it. When we discovered what had happened, we were sick to our stomachs. We prayed for God to help us. And uh, even though it was our fault, you know, it was something that we did. And that evening, we received a telephone call. The caller asked for Linda and then asked if she had lost something that day. (laughs) I love phone calls like that. And it uh, turns out that in one of the envelopes there was an identification card and the folder had slid off the car and into an honest person's uh, presence. We still praise God for that. I mean, that was a lot of years ago. He was so faithful to us in those days. Our son, when he was two years old, contra- contracted a virus which closed his throat. I think it was called epiglottitis. 
uh, don't try this at home. He was sick the whole day, and Linda kept telling me, I say this with shame, that we should take him to the hospital. But we had no money. <laughs> Hospitals cost money, and we th- I thought, you know, just let it, we'll ride this one out. And in the evening, he stopped breathing. And I had him on the kitchen floor doing CPR and breathing into his mouth. He couldn't breathe on his own. And uh, I could get him breathing, but the minute I stopped, he stopped. Pretty scary stuff. And uh, I knew CPR, but I didn't know child CPR. And I was hammering on this kid's chest. I think to this day he's got a concave uh, chest from that. But, uh, and my wife, the nurse, kept saying, no, 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 that's not how you do it. <laughs> You're going to kill the kid. I was like, no, nah, never mind. Linda called 911, and before the operator finished getting our information, the police were knocking on our door. Uh, It turns out when they got the call, they were right in front of our house, like directly in front of our house. They kind of went, wait, I think this is it. And uh, and they came knocking on the door. They wanted to wait for an ambulance, but I uh, took charge, and I said, nope, we're going in that car. And then another car pulled up, and he said, no, no, I'll take it. I said, no, we're going in that car. And I grabbed him, and, and we went to the hospital. I didn't even have shoes on. But uh, two police cars were there, and the policeman was very obedient. I'm thankful for that. I don't know who he is, but, uh, but he took me to the hospital, took us to the hospital. All the way there, I had to keep breathing for him, and... Uh, but the doctors were so good, and God was so faithful, and there were no uh, lasting problems. We finished college, and I took a job as a teacher in a Christian school. Um, John mentioned earlier Kokolala uh, Lake Bible Camp, and if you've been there, you've seen the old school building uh, next door, and uh, that was Southside Christian School, and I was a teacher there and a principal there at one point. And soon I was also teaching and preaching in the church. I was the associate pastor. By the way, I'll tell you a joke. I found out I was the associate pastor one day when I looked at the bulletin. <laughs> Linda was sitting next to me and I said, hey, look, look at this. Associate pastor. I love it. So I assumed they were going to let me know eventually. I was a youth leader an elder, the director of the school, and a home group leader. Um, The danger of being willing to do anything, right? Uh, Sounds like this church is full of those kinds of people, by the way, serving no matter what they're asked to do. We were also leaders in the homeschool movement in that part of the country. We actually moved out of Washington up to northern Idaho because it was illegal in Washington at that time to homeschool your children, so we just went to another state. wasn't exactly legal there either, but it's a big state. And the government's way down south, you know? Anyway. I say all this not to brag, but to say that in the middle of all the success, at the pinnacle of my early career, I had a crisis of faith. 
Outwardly, I was Bruce, the super Christian. That's what everybody thought. And of course, I wanted to keep it that way, right? Inwardly, I was failing. I was trying to measure up to God. You guys are shaking your head going, what? You were trying to what? (laughs) I was striving to be a good Christian. Daily devotions, prayer, leading my family, all those things that were expected, especially of a super Christian. Um, But I was failing in all of these areas. I was a hypocrite because I was a teacher telling everybody what they ought to be doing and the right way to go and counseling children and on and on like that. I told everybody what was good and what was right and what the Lord desires of you, you know that verse. But I wasn't doing it myself. I tried, but it wasn't working. You ever heard somebody said, I tried Christianity, it just didn't take? Or, Well, I was there. I thought maybe I was meant to fail. I knew the problem wasn't God's word, because I knew God's word was absolutely true. I knew the problem wasn't God, because God is absolutely perfect. The problem was me. I thought maybe I was meant to fail. I was ready to throw in the towel on my Christian life. At that time, a friend, remember we're talking about the faithfulness of God here, because he never gave up. It's not in him. He he can't decide. You want to write this on your list of things that God can't do. He can't decide to be unfaithful. Not not possible. A friend recommended a book for me to read. I was an avid reader, and so I got the book and I read it. The message of that book saved my life. God is satisfied in his son. Period. And we are complete in his son. It's not about us. It's not about our performance. It's not about our measuring up. Measuring up to God, that's a silly thing to say, isn't it? Not for Jesus. With all my good works, I could not please God nor measure up to him. He is holy. I am not. But God is satisfied, as Canute brought up today and as we celebrated today, not in my accomplishments, but in what Jesus did. God is not mad at me when I fail and only happy when I do well. (laughs) I have to keep repeating that. His satisfaction is in his son, and I am in his son. He is satisfied with me, because I'm in Christ. This was the most freeing message I had ever heard. To stop striving. I can stop striving, I even wrote it down, and start resting in the finished work of Christ. 
Romans 8.1 became and still is my verse, my life verse. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. I grew up in a religious system where you had to measure up and you had to earn your way. And uh, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ is the propitiation for our sins. This is not only a spiritual truth, but it's a historical fact. It really happened. Really happened in history. God was so faithful to open my eyes to see a truth that was right there all the time. The truth will set you free, and it certainly did with me. Uh, I, I praise him over and over again for that time. And I ask him to never, ever let me forget what I went through. Because there are people, I'll bet, sitting in this room that are going through the same thing. I fell in love with the idea of missions when I was in college. I grew up in a military home, so traveling and moving were normal for me, and even a little excited. You want to ask me where I'm from? You better allot some time. <laughs> that's, a very, uh, that's a tough question for me. Anyway, I always have to say, well, do you mean like right now, or do you mean... Anyway. I went uh, into my uh, counselor my junior year of college, and this was the time when you sit down and say, okay, let's see what we need to do to get out of here. And uh, one of those was a missions class, and I said, well, you know, I'm going to be a pastor, so I don't need a missions class. Why don't I just take this class on First Peter? And he said, well, the reason you can't take the class on First Peter is because you have to take a missions class. And uh, the only missions class that I could take that was in a slot that I had available was missions problems. I thought, well, that's a great introduction to missions. So, But I got so jacked in that class. Is that, can we say that? I got so excited in that class. Um, talking about missionaries and people living all over the world. And I don't know how many times, if Linda was here, it's funny when, when Steve said the kids could go, Linda left. <laughs> a little delusional, I think. But now she, we packed this morning, and she's got all sorts of stuff for the kids, and that's all she wants to do is work with the kids. So, so have fun back there. If she was here, though, she would tell you uh, how many times I came home just from that class and said, Linda, pack your bags. We're going. And, of course, she was always the steady one. Oh, let's slow down. <laughs> Calm down. Sit down. Let's talk about this. And, um, and I can only laugh at that now because at one point God spoke to both of us and off we went. So it was great. But it uh, took her a long time to get it, though. <laughs> anyway. Um, every year our little church... Uh, which, if you've been to Coquilala Lake Bible Camp, is the Quonset Hut next door. It's been our home church for 34 years now. Um, we always had a mission conference, and we'd break the piggy bank and bring in somebody that we couldn't afford, and, uh, and 
let them preach the gospel. And every time, without fail, even though the message was always turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 and go to verse 19 and we're going to talk about go into the world and all that good stuff. And man, I'd be like, yeah, let's go. And we'd bring the missionaries home. And uh, my hope, of course, was always that uh, he or they would talk to Linda and, and we could go to Brazil or didn't matter where really, Japan or I remember uh, signing up and getting ready to go to Japan and another time we were going to Brazil and and uh, God saved us for all those thing, from all those things. I felt called every time the call went out. Then a, mi- a missions conference in 1986, Linda and I both sensed. I said the same thing I say every time. Linda, I, it seemed like he was talking to us. And Linda said, yeah, I agree. And I said, you do? <laughs> that was pretty exciting. We both sensed that God was calling us to missions. We talked with the elders of the church. I highly recommend this. uh, Because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't delusional. Okay, I have visions of grandeur about myself sometimes. And, uh, And I did not expect their answer. Their answer was, well, we could see the potential with some work. You don't say that to a super Christian. Anyway, yeah, so uh, God was uh, faithful in humbling me, and uh, of course they were absolutely right. Uh, I went through a lot of stuff in the next three years that had I gone through on the field that same stuff, it probably would have destroyed me. Um, But I was right there, family was there to hug me and say, you're going to be okay, Bruce, get back in there. And... uh, They agreed that with time, we might be ready to serve on the foreign field. Our church wanted us to go to Mexico because we were already involved in Mexico, supporting uh, a national missionary, and we actually supported another uh, missionary in southern Idaho who worked among the Hispanics, a Hispanic uh, pastor. We spent three years getting ready, and in 1989, we went to work with the Mexican migrants in the fields of southern Idaho. Uh, one time I was hitching home north, up, back up north to Sandpoint, and uh, a guy picked me up, and he was bemoaning the fact that the Mexicans were taking all the jobs. And I'm thinking, well, where I work, I'm the only white guy, <laughs> and there's nobody standing in line for my job. Uh, I, I helped him to see that uh, we should be thankful that they're here working our fields. I worked daily alongside 150 Mexican agricultural workers. I was the only white guy. We also studied language at the university. We changed houses. We changed direction. We changed location. We changed work. The one constant in all of this was the faithfulness of God. Even in southern Idaho, get this now, when we prayed, he answered. He's like everywhere, <laughs> hearing and answering our prayers. It's uh, such an amazing thing. We had many struggles during this time. We lived in, in, uh, in migrant housing, in a, in a labor camp, and, um, and in our early years in Mexico. But God remained faithful. He never let go of us. 
our first year in Mexico, 1991, was the worst year of my life. All right. Uh, I love the pictures of the missionary marching off triumphantly, but that came later. That first year, um, even though I had read everything there was to read on culture shock, uh, I was ready for it. Bring it on. I'm going to breeze through this. And I did for the first eight months. But in the eighth month, boom, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And the problem was simple. Uh, I've already described how busy and active and important I was in my home church. And then I went there and I was useless. I couldn't speak to anybody. Uh, I felt inept. I felt like I was a burden to others. If I did say the word correctly, then they thought I spoke Spanish. And they started babbling at me. If I said it wrong, everybody within three kilometers started laughing. The whole city would laugh every time I made an error. I was sure of it. It was a tough struggle. But I knew that God remained faithful. I knew that he never let go of us. Theologically, I knew that God would not bring us there and then dump us. That he is always faithful and he cannot be otherwise. I felt like he had dropped us off and left. But I knew it wasn't true. It couldn't be true. The Bible told me just the opposite. That God would never leave me or abandon me. I held on to that truth. We prayed. The way I felt was temporary. And it would pass. And it did. I'm here to tell you it passed. Our second year in Mexico, we moved up into the mountains to manage a Christian camp. This camp sat empty 51 weeks out of the year. It was used one week a year. And uh, the owners of the camp felt that that was bad stewardship and wondered if we would go up there. We didn't know anything about camps. I mean, our church was next door to a camp, but we didn't uh, have any, uh, anything, any involvement in the management of that camp. But we went there and we lived there and God brought people to our door constantly. And, uh, and when we left that camp four years later, they had money in the bank and the camp was being used all summer long, 14 straight weeks the last year we were there. And then at least one week every month after that. God was faithful to bring people to our door, even though we're not on, we weren't on the way to anywhere. And we had four years of great ministry. We met Nacho and Cindy Gomez in Galeana. Nacho was from Colombia. And he was uh, what I call an impact player. And uh, so I just got on his coattails and we had a, we had a great ride. Um, we did our Bible college in a box where we took the Bible out. And I'll tell you about that another time. I tried, to, not going to go there. I couldn't believe God would use me in so many ways with so many people. I have always struggled with feelings of inadequacy, but God is powerful in me. In early 95 or late 94, I came to Puebla 
went to Puebla to go to a spiritual life conference. And at that conference, I met a man <clears throat> who asked me to come to Puebla to direct Puebla Christian School. Uh, I said, no thank you. But he took me to the bus, and on the way to the bus, he just happened to, I guess, you have to go by the school to get to the bus. <laughs> so I've lived there now for many, many years, and I know that's not true. But that day, for some reason, to get to the bus, we went by the school. Oh, look, here's the school. Why don't we just stop and take a tour? <laughs> yeah. He was a salesman. By the end of it, he said, would you at least pray about it, and that was my big mistake. <laughs> I did pray, and, uh, and God answered, and by the middle of that year, 1995, we were in Puebla. Uh, I didn't want to live in a city of two and a half million people, but um, neither Linda nor I wanted to live in such a large city, but we were in Puebla in 95. Our daughter moved with us to Puebla. Our son was already in the United States. I say this that while we were given a hero's welcome in Puebla, we were in much inner pain. Our son left home and ran to the world as fast as he could. And uh, he was there for three years, and we were grieving inside because of, because of that decision that he made. Once again, I was experiencing much success, but I felt like a failure. We prayed unceasingly that God would rescue our son. If you're in a similar situation, do not give up. Hang in there. We served at PCS for nine years and at uh, Oaxaca Christian School, PCS Puebla Christian School, Oaxaca Christian School for one year until 2005. God gave us such fruitful ministry, and he brought our son back to the fold during that time. Amazing. And now he's pastoring in Alaska. I had such little faith, but God was so faithful. In 2005, we were asked to come home and direct Kokolala Lake Bible Camp. And after much prayer and consultation with our board, we agreed. PCS had a new director, and we were free to go. We had six fruitful years at the camp, and I think I met many, many of you there. Our children and their families were not too far away, so we were able to visit them. Then my son became a pastor in Alaska, and my daughter moved to Kansas, and we thought, we have to get on an airplane to visit our kids. We can do that from anywhere. So we uh, started looking for ministry opportunities back in Latin America, not Puebla. But one day, Linda was, we were sitting there, and she said, hey, Puebla's looking for a principal. And I went, oh, really? Jeez, bad time. And I dropped a note to one of the teachers, and 20 minutes later, one of the board members called me. She ratted me out. Uh, anyway, I still love her. God has been so faithful to guide us we returned to Puebla in 2011 and worked in the school for the next five years. Um, his timing is perfect. I've always believed that God was able to bless us. I have struggled with believing that he is willing 
to bless us. That I did a whole study on that, and it turns out that it's actually his delight to bless us. <laughs> he gets such a kick out of it. And I should have figured it out because uh, I'm a dad, and uh, I love doing things for my kids. And I love all the gratitude that flowed out of this room today. It, uh, it warms my heart. I believe that is the highest form of worship when we just say thank you for all that he's done for us. Pretty amazing. The scriptures tell us that he delights in blessing us, and we are so blessed. So, blessing after blessing after blessing, as we were leaving Puebla, getting ready to leave right now, we had, we had uh, inherited a house full of furniture. When we moved back in 2011, we went with just suitcases because we were going to a fully furnished house. Those missionaries uh, went to Ecuador, and they were going to come back in two years, take all their furniture, and, or maybe even take the house, and we would go somewhere else. And uh, they notified us that they weren't coming back. Would we like to buy all their furniture? And we made them an offer, and they said, sure, that's good. And then they changed their mind. Well, maybe we will come back, and uh, you'd have to meet this lady. She's awesome, but she does, uh, you know. <laughs> had a hard time making a decision. And, uh, uh, the end result was they were maybe going to come back someday and so, but you're welcome to use the furniture as long as you want. Well, uh, in the end, which was two weeks ago, um, they decided they were coming back. They weren't, were, weren't, I think it was weren't, were, weren't, maybe we will. No, we're not. Um, we had to sell all their furniture then, and all of our stuff, and we had to clear out of the house, and that put a lot of stress on us. Linda was awesome. I'd like to just sit down and tell you about how awesome she was. But it was stressful at times. Uh, one of the stresses was that I had to sell a car, and the day I put the dollar sign on it, in Mexico all you have to do is put a dollar sign on it. Actually, it's a peso sign, but... and uh, and. Somebody will start asking you about the car. And the very day I did it, somebody asked me, and they said, yeah, we'll, we'll buy it. I was like, slow down. But, uh, and it was going to be Logos. Do you guys, some of you, do you use Logos, Steve? You have that system? But you know what it is? Bible software, uh, supposedly the best there is. And, uh, and they have, uh, they, Puebla is the, uh, is the uh, Latin American center for Logos. And Logos was going to buy the car. Uh, but the money was going to come from Bellingham, Washington. And it was going to come, and it was going to come, and yeah, it's just... It, it, and, and, and my fear was that on the day before I leave, somebody was going to hand me 100,000 pesos. It's a stack about that high. And uh, what was I going to do with all those pesos? They're useless here in Davenport. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to meet this guy who's in from Bellingham, and I'm like, God, what am I, what am I going to do? I can't. He's gonna, maybe he's going to want me to leave the car with him and just say, Oh, you know, just trust me. And but I don't know him. I know he's a Christian and he's a leader of Logos, and so he must be, must be a good guy. And uh, but what am I supposed to do? And on and on and on it went. And 
I moaned and groaned all the way to the meeting. And uh, at the meeting, uh, the guy said, yeah, we, we want the car, and we're ready you know, for this and that. And, uh, and he said, when I get back to Bellingham, then I'm just going to transfer money into your account. Well, I thought, well, that part's good. He's not going to hand me uh, stacks of pesos on the day before. We, this was Tuesday, and we were flying out Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, talk about waiting till the last minute. I was like, God, couldn't we have done this two weeks earlier? But, but uh, his timing is perfect. And the, and the moral of the story is the guy took me in a back room and handed me all the U.S. dollars for that car. And I went home floating. I was like, you are listening to me, even in Puebla. <laughs> and uh, so many other specific prayers. I can't recall a period in my life praying so many specific tiny things that I thought, this has got to be a bother to him. All these details, you know. Uh, He's a big God. He's the God of creation and all that stuff. And uh, he answered so many prayers. One of which was this really, really old car that we have sitting at a hotel outside the airport, here. And uh, it sounds like somebody, or many somebodies, in this very room took care of that car so that when we got back, it started right up. I understand it didn't start right up, and that would have been fun at 11 o'clock at night uh, to have that car not start. But uh, I thank you guys for that. Um, and by the way, I want to say this. It's not in my notes. Um, you do, Trinity Bible Fellowship does a very good job of missionary care. Keep it up. I've been around. Uh, I've been doing this for a, a, lot, a lot of years now. And um, been to many, 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 many churches. And you guys do a really, really good job. I'm not, I'm not here to... I don't want anything. You see, you probably think, so, no. Um, I just wanted you to know that uh, Linda and I have always felt very well taken care of by you guys. When we come here, we just, we, uh, we feel like we're home. Wanted you to know that. I want to leave you with a Bible verse as well. Very familiar. Most of you guys have this memorized, I'm sure. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, no matter how smart you think you are. In all your ways, all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. He will direct your paths if you memorize it out of the King James like I did. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Look to the Lord for all of your decisions. He is faithful. He is faithful. He cannot be otherwise. You can go to him over and over again. You, you can't bother him. You can't. You know, you, know uh, you, you heard the parable of the judge where the lady just kept bothering him and bothering him. Finally he said, ah, I've had it. And he takes care of her. God's not like that. He delights when we come, even if it's 
with a lot of nitpicky small details that just need to be done at that moment in your life. Stuff that's important to you turns out it's important to him. He makes it that way. He is faithful. He will guide you. Don't trust human reasoning, even if it's your own, and it sounds pretty good. Check it with the Bible. God cannot be unfaithful. He will go ahead of you. He will walk with you. He will never abandon you. He is always faithful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning and your faithfulness is steady. We just praise you for the way you have been there at every turn, every need. Lord, that as we sang this morning, you never let go. Praise you for these things. We thank you for being involved in our lives and being interested even the uh, even in the mundane. Lord, for all the requests that were brought up today that are so important to us, we thank you, God, that you are already moving. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.